<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And we're learning new information about the disappearance of a Lane County woman last seen in Grants Pass. It's been over three years since Fauna Fry went missing, but her dad is now going public with some new key details, including a large amount of money Fauna was traveling with. Fauna's dad, John Fry, recently made an appearance on a Newsweek podcast talking about the ongoing search for his daughter. Back in June of 2020, Fauna came to Grants Pass to visit her brother's friend before disappearing. According to police, she was last seen at the Big Five store in Grants Pass, on the Newsweek podcast, John said that Fauna's brother had recently died and she was in Grants Pass to distribute silver coins totaling $25,000 in value among her brother's friends. When she went missing, John says she had $18,000 worth of coins with her. You're listening to Hear One Minute, Gone the Next, a Newsweek podcast. Team Fauna has already received a considerable amount of information that could potentially lead to her family finally receiving some answers. And we would like to thank you, the audience, for your support and continued attention to detail in this case. Tonight, we hear from Josephine County Sheriff Dave Daniel. You look at all missing persons as a crime first. If you have no evidence, you look at them as just a missing. Now, Sheriff Daniel isn't exactly thrilled that new evidence was released to the public on this podcast. So we sent investigative journalist Alex Rogue to his office to get his perspective on the issues face to face. You know, you follow the river, or the, in this case, you just, you just follow the trail. Wherever the trail bends and curves and goes uphill, downhill, you just keep on the path that, that, that you're down. And then uh, you hope out of your corner something pops up. Before we speak to Alex and hear her interaction with Sheriff Daniel, it's important to note that some details of this case have been altered to protect people's identities or to protect sensitive information in the case that the family, Team Fauna, and or law enforcement don't want to be made public. If you happen to be listening to this podcast for the first time, you should go back and listen to episode one where we speak at some length with John Fry, Fauna's dad. You should also head over to Newsweek.com and look up Fauna's case where you will find photographs from inside of her abandoned Jeep, an image of the mysterious saddlebag with her name imprinted on it, and information about the upwards of $18,000 in silver coins that she was carrying with her when she disappeared. Now, Alex Rogue is part of a growing network of volunteer investigative journalists who mean business and they have the time, interest, and resources to dig up impressive amounts of information on just about anybody. This is naturally causing some friction in dealings with law enforcement who, as we all know, tend to keep information close to the chest when it comes to active investigations. Alex, what were some of your hopes and expectations going into this interview? You know, it was my first time really sitting down and having a one-on-one heart-to-heart conversation. I was expecting him to be closed off as far as giving us any details to, you know, what's been recently released. Um, I was expecting him to be frustrated with 
the way it's being released, um, when I say released, meaning, you know, the new discoveries that have just been recently provided to the public, you know, this is three years that have gone by. So for a family to take this extra step is, is completely understandable. And I encourage it. So you spoke to him for about 40 minutes and I had to pare that down quite a bit just because you were trying to engage with him and trying to get him to open up a little bit. And he just, he just wasn't. And, and that's understandable because he's, he's law enforcement. He can't really say a lot about the case, but you were really trying to get him to elaborate. And he just was giving these short one, two word responses, which is, is very difficult. You did an amazing job trying to get it out of him, but we have several clips to go through here. Do you feel her case is unique? Complicated. What do you feel makes this case unique in um, comparison? I can't go, can't, can't go into that. Okay. Do you feel she, do you feel Flana's case is as of a higher profile than most other missing cases? Yes, it has been. Do you want to elaborate on why you feel that is? Oh, just a lot of there's a lot of people very interested, and there's a lot of social media involved in this one. Um. It's for some reason has just gained uh, quite a following. Do you think it has anything to do with that she's portrayed? You know, it doesn't have a checkered past. Um, America's sweetheart. Yeah, I couldn't honestly, could honestly tell you why. I, other, other than that, there's a you know a group of people that are very active, appear to be very active in this case. Um, and uh, like I said, a lot of flyers, a lot of social media, um, and has really kind of blown up the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really, really, other than that, I really don't know why. But I, I don't, I don't think it's the you know, America's sweetheart or any of that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, although I believe she's a very, she is or was a very nice person. Right. I, I feel she's more relatable to that you're the the most common you know missing person with. You know, it comes from a domestic violence situation or a drug addiction or a homeless situation. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible. And I feel, you know, that has a lot of play into her case being of a higher priority for the community and just more attention. And they just know more about her case, which is frustrating to me. Um, but that's just me. But, um and, and just talking about the frustrations or difficulties, do you care to touch on what about Fauna's case is, has um, caused difficulties or frustrations? Well, uh, one, it's not necessarily one thing. It's not necessarily about the case itself, but I could say that it's been frustrating for me with the lack of personnel to, you know, investigate, follow leads. That has been that has been troublesome. That's frustrating. So he gave you something a little bit there. I mean, at least saying that, you know, he doesn't have a lot of resources to draw on and that's, that's frustrating. And it's understandable and frustrating for us that he can't tell us obviously more about Fauna's case as much as we would like to. You know, the lack of resources is the common answer. I, I don't care what police officer I'm talking to or what missing person case we're referring to. The, the lack of resources is their number one answer. What I was trying to get him to understand is because we, as the community, we are aware 
of the lack of resources and the frustrations and the roadblocks that cause when there's someone missing. When we have, you know, a big production going on and, and a lot of people in the community and really all over the states involved, I was just hoping that he could understand that that is a resource and that is a valuable resource where I couldn't get him to meet me on that end is because he's resilient to that. There's just this collaborative hundreds of people helping. Yeah. And I consider that a very valuable resource. And there are police officers that are very friendly with that concept. And he just doesn't happen to be one of them. People are interested in the forensics done in the Jeep. Mm -hmm. Can we say that there have been forensics done oh, in the Jeep? Absolutely. I can, I, I can easily say that the Oregon State Police Forensics Crime Lab has um, been in that car. Okay. And it has been processed. Yes. By professional forensics people. Not by just third party or private resort, no, and it's been no, all done through. Yep. Do you think that in any event could be something that would be valuable to make this look more of of a crime than just missing? I don't think that fact has anything to do with whether it's a, just a missing or a crime. Like nothing had turned up during the, that process. Of, yeah, not going to go into that. That changes the, the way that we're labeling this case. Yeah. Okay. What, what would be something that you would feel could help you further looking at this as a crime. There's no blood, there's no evidence, there's no sign of a struggle, there's no domestic partner, there's nothing that we can look at with case history. You know, well, this falls in the group of this, and... Yeah, you're asking me to divulge uh, facts of the case. I, I really can't do that. Is it easy for a missing person case to be looked at as a crime scene without a crime by just... No, actually, current state of affairs, it makes it more difficult because the Oregon State Police, you know, certain things they won't process or do if you don't have a known factual crime. Um, so that aspect makes it, makes it very difficult. But um, you look at all missing persons as a crime first. And then, and then, when you if you have no evidence, you look at them as just a missing. Um, and it just kind of yeah, you have to you know you follow the river or the in this case you just you just follow the trail wherever the trail bends and curves and goes uphill downhill. You just keep on the path that that, that you're down, and then uh, you hope out of your corner something pops up. You know that. Yeah, I do know that. And and you know with the with the new discoveries that have been. Um, presented to the public with, you know, um, visuals and everything. There was a mention of, you know, biker gang and that this hitchhiker, you know, led Fauna in the wrong place at the wrong time. Without, without 
confirming that or denying that, do you feel that that's still on the table being like a possibility Uh, to work around? Nothing is off the table in this case. There's still a lot of unknowns. And then and as, as a result, you you don't dismiss anything. Out of theories, like, I have theories that this is voluntary. I have theories that this could have been a suicide. And I also have theory a theory of foul play. You know, I always really start with three big theories and you know, we break them down and and cross-reference and eliminate or, or add or whatever to, to build. Like, what would be our strongest theory? Do you care to tell me what your strongest theory is no, on this? I'm not Do you have a strong theory over another one? Not indicating which, but do you have a stronger theory over one or the other? I'm not going to answer that. Okay. Okay. I wish I could, but I, that's, I can't. If this hitchhiker was more somebody that was credible, let's say, do you feel that she could have been more beneficial to the investigation? Again, we're going down into some of the, obviously, facts of the case, and I just I just don't want to go there. Sorry. Okay. So you go on here to ask him about his thoughts. This is the first time that you ask him about his thoughts on this new information that's been released here to Newsweek in episode one of Here One Minute Gone the Next. Take a listen to this. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. I, don't, I really don't want to comment on on that portion. Okay. At, at the same time, it's so understandable why families um, have a hard time just sitting oh, down on their hands absolutely. and not... Sure, absolutely. ...feeling helpless. Yeah, especially after three years. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. A lot of emotion involved. A lot of people, you know, interested, want an answer. I totally, so do I. Do you see any benefit of maybe, um, you know, these certain things being leaked to public? That do you see any possible benefit from exposure? Uh, it's always a possibility. I mean, you could, you never know. You, could, you might get that that perfect tip or that perfect lead that, you know, sets you sets you on a path. You also might get. A million rabbit holes to crawl down. Mm-hmm. What can that do on a on a drained organization already? That's um, brutal because it can they can get the perception that we don't care, and get the perception that we're not going to we don't we didn't look at this fast enough or do that fast enough. Then um, I think that's you know that could easily be a perception. So at least he's aware of, of what the perception is, and it doesn't help that he can't really divulge any information, and it, quite frankly, comes across as cold. But that's his job, right? Right. And I completely relate to what he's saying as far as rabbit holes. I mean, I'm not a trained investigator um, with a law, and but I put myself out there to receive tips, and the rabbit holes are real, I can dedicate all my time to one case and they can. And so, yeah, I do understand that level of people coming in by the hundreds, telling him all sorts of, you know, different scenarios or situations, or I heard this from somebody and I think you need to go check that out. It can be tremendous and overwhelming. Do you feel 
that there's suspicious circumstances involved with Fauna's disappearance. From the it. fact that somebody went missing is suspicious, period. I don't really know much more to say than that. Right. And then when you involve, you know, the Jeep being found three months later, do you do you have any interest on giving me your opinion on what that looks like to you? No. <laughs> I don't want to give an opinion on that. I mean, there's facts of the case that, that I know. Probably facts of the case that um, you know. But I don't, again, I don't want to get into those. Um, but I, I do feel that the the whole three month span is um, there. There's a whole process with when people ditch cars. You know, people are just perplexed that it ha- it wasn't stripped down or it wasn't the contents inside weren't um, robbed. But then I've also been told when I've talked to people that that's just what they do. They intentionally will ditch a car and not strip it or steal anything from it, wipe it down. Um, it happens all the time when there's a crime involved. Could that possibly be maybe a scenario that... Well, I think anything's possible. ...has been looked at in that way? Uh, not gonna go there. And he's he's really making you work for it. Anything's possible. Not gonna go there. He's he's really good at not saying much. I'll give him that. Yeah, it wasn't his first radio. This last clip that we're gonna play here from Sheriff Dave Daniel on this episode, you asked him about the releasing of this information that we put out on episode one again, and this time he gave you a little bit more of an answer, not much more of an answer, but a little bit more than he did the first time. It's a criminal investigation. And I would love to have everybody in the loop as to exactly what I've done uh, or we've done uh, all along the way, but you just can't do that. You know, you can't always do that. So um, we're still working. That's all I can say. Do you want, do you want that to stop though? It doesn't help. Though, that being said, mm-hmm. potentially could. So, you know, that's a, it's a, that's a decision somebody else made and, and they, without consulting with me, and they made it. So, that's not much I can do about that. Okay. I'm going to stop this. Okay. So, it didn't help, but it didn't necessarily hurt, is, is what I take from that. Is that, is that what you hear him saying? I do. I I hear that. And I also hear the part where nobody consulted with him. Yeah. It's safe to say we could probably assume he wouldn't want any of that information out there. Absolutely. I I also had another conversation with him in the past about the peripheral of what has been recently released has already really been talked about, um, especially on the fauna page on social media. You know, we do know a lot of things and there have been things from the family and Team Fauna that they did release and want the public to know to get people talking or maybe they know something. So it's been going on for a while at this level, you know, that we're doing. I think that's, you know, where he felt that he wasn't involved making any kind of decision on what is going to be talked about or released. 
And again, that's such an understandable frustration and such a complicated situation like this with so many moving parts and so many emotions and so many unanswered questions. Well, we want to thank Sheriff Dave Daniel for joining us here at Newsweek and for his continued dedication to finding the truth behind what happened to Fauna Fry. And when we return, a sneak peek into our conversation with Sean, Fauna's late brother's best friend, the person she delivered some silver coins to, and one of the last people to see Fauna Fry before she disappeared. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And we're here again with Alex Rogue, and she recently had a chance to sit down and talk with Sean. Now, Sean was the best friend of Fauna's brother, Dallas, who passed away, and the person that she delivered some of the silver coins to before she disappeared. Alex, now tell us a little bit about this conversation that we can expect to hear on the next episode. Yeah, so when I first started on Fauna's case, it was maybe six to seven months after she disappeared. And when Sean came to us, letting us know who the Sean guy was and what had happened there, I made contact with Sean and he was very gracious about making contact back with me and had no problems talking and probably over a two hour conversation. And, you know, Sean was one of Dallas's Fauna's brother that had just passed one of his very best friends and a routine visit that they would um, come and visit Sean, Dallas and Fauna and, you know, coming from where she was coming from up north, you know, he, he, he's the first one on the map to stop. And her intention of visiting with him was to deliver the news that Dallas had just passed because that passing of Dallas is very private. And so that was part of her mission being down here was to let people know that we're close to Dallas face to face and um, have a more personal conversation about that. When she was with Sean, maybe 30 minutes that she was there, they had their moment about Dallas and she indicated to Sean that during her time coming down there and part of her plan was to spread the, you know, spread mementos of these coins to people that Dallas were close to that she felt Dallas would want them to have. And Sean was one of them. And she presented these coins to Sean and, and he took them and he, Sean also knew they existed, you know, because he's very close to Dallas and knew how Dallas liked to, you know, collect these coins and, um, kind of a, a proper mentality. It was just natural for Fauna to want to do that with Sean. Sean's a really nice guy and he has no problem talking about Fauna, no hesitation. What I've heard that's most concrete is that she stopped at the Wonder General Store in between Cave Junction and uh, Grants Pass. Right. And, and that she, and got gas. That hitchhiker was there at the store, and the hitchhiker asked her, if you're, if you're going this direction, can I get a ride? And Fauna said yes. I don't think it was her standing on the side of the road with the thumb out. No, yeah. It was uh, by, like, Wilderville or something, right? By the graveyard yeah, over there? Yeah. yeah. Yep. 
And so uh, that meant fun to stop there. Right. Get beef jerky or get something to drink. Right. Something, which you pay cash for, and nobody remembered because, you know, exactly. you come to all the time. Exactly. Um, and, but that's that's why she picked up the hitchhiker. It mm-hmm. wasn't that she saw her on the side of the road and said, oh, I'm going to pull over. Right. It was that... She was approached somehow, right. This gal asked, and she felt pity for the gal, Mm -hmm. and felt the gal was, you know, harmless, and uh, yeah, she'd give her a ride, and then they talked along the way. A big thank you to Alex Rogue for offering her time to us here at Newsweek to help find Fauna Fry, and thanks to the listening audience who is already providing useful tips and information to the family. If you've seen something, say something. Call our anonymous tip line at 541-359-5638 or send an email, findfronafry, F-R-E-Y, at gmail.com. As a side note, many people have been asking about the hitchhiker that Fauna picked up shortly before her disappearance. Now, I can say that this is something that we do plan on diving into on this podcast in the near future. And we can also say that everyone involved with this investigation, including myself, have personally witnessed this person and their severely deteriorated mental state. It's virtually impossible to get any kind of statement, let alone a coherent thought, out of this person. Now, that doesn't mean they're not of interest. It just means that we can only go down that rabbit hole so far before we need to stop to protect this person's anonymity. Team Fauna actually watches out for them and helps get their family in contact when they haven't been available for some period of time. But we do plan to cover the story of the hitchhiker in much more detail in future episodes of Here One Minute, Gone the Next, a Newsweek podcast. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.